Welcome to the LSQ Podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and our vision is to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from Sunday worship and the occasional bonus content. We hope you'll subscribe. Uh, the scripture reading today is from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 through 14. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests in you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Emerald. Good morning, and welcome again to Redeemer Lincoln Square. The past few weeks, we've been looking at sort of the essence of what it means to be human. This is why I always find it kind of ironic when um, in New York City, if I go out to uh, eat with some friends that are local friends, uh, folks who, you know, are not Christians, and they find out I'm a pastor, inevitably, sometimes somebody will say this. They'll say, I don't like the fact that your Bible tells people how to live. I don't like the idea that you use the Bible to tell other people how to live. And I always find it ironic that they're telling me how to live by not, by not telling me how I should tell other people how to live. And so I try to gently show that everybody actually has a way to live that we're telling other people um, about. So there's some people out there that say, hey, do whatever you want. Do what feels right, as long as it doesn't harm other people. You'll hear other people say, you know what? Real life, life is about power. And therefore, we need to disempower the powerful. And of course, if you ever have enough power to disempower the powerful, then you have the power, and you're supposed to disempower yourself, but that usually gets lost in that process. Other people will say this. They'll say, you know what? You're supposed to just eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. The person over here says, uh, you know what? You just need to pick your identity. You'll be most happy. You'll know who you are if you can just pick your identity. And that's why I, I would argue a lot of us live in this sort of anxiousness, this nervousness. Have I picked the right one? Do I need to pick a new one? Is this one actually working? And there's all this angst because it's all up to us. 
And so the Bible, yeah, it comes in to this world that everybody else is doing the exact same thing. And it says, yeah, no, there is a way to live that will be best for you. And it's our job. We have to, we have to basically compare and contrast, and we have to ask ourselves, which one works the best? I think in our text here, this is Peter, who's trying to give this to us. And I, I didn't, we didn't print it in your bulletin. The verse right before verse 9, verse 8 he actually says, above all things. In other words, what he's about to tell us, this text here, he believes above all things you actually need to know. So therefore, above all things, the most important thing for your life, above focusing on eating and drinking for tomorrow we die, above focusing on yourself, above having to figure out who you are and what we're about, above all these other things, there is something this text is telling us about being a steward that is so important and so key to being human that unless you know what it is, unless we figure this out, you can call yourself a Christian, but you're not, you're, you're not really a Christian. You can, you can think you understand reality, but you don't. And so what I would like us to do just for a moment is to look through this text to see what it's trying to tell us about the nature of reality, about the essence of humanity. I think we can break it up in three parts. We're going to look at the extensiveness of stewardship. We're going to look at the heart of stewardship. And we're going to look at the goal of stewardship. I'll say it again. The extensiveness, the heart, and then the goal of, of stewardship. So first, the extensiveness. Look at the center of our passage. If you go down to verse 10, or just the next verse, Peter kind of gives us the essence. He says, Each of you should use whatever gift that you have received to serve others as faithful stewards. There it is, right? We, right? The verse, uh, verse 8 that's not in this passage, he says, above all things, what you need to know is to realize that we each have something to steward. You say, what does that mean? Well, if each of you, look at this, look, again, look at it again. Each of you has something to give. A couple of things to note. If each of you have something to give, then notice you don't all have the same thing. Not everybody is equal here. Not everybody has the same thing. At the same time, if it's each of you, this is not being said to just the top 10% Christians. This isn't just to the committed ones. This is saying to everyone, anyone, all of you has something at some level to offer. And I guess before we move on, I want to kind of pause and say, is that how you define yourself? Is this the lens by which you look at all of reality? Do you say my existence my purpose is that I have something, each of us, to serve others. I promise you, if you gave me a piece of paper and said, hey, Michael, write down who is Michael Keller, I, I, I'm more or less sure that the first thing I would say is, I'm not Michael Keller, therefore, I, I am Michael Keller, I serve others. That's not how I would define myself, that I have something to offer. I probably would say, if I'm really honest, if it, if I'm, if it doesn't see the light of day, it would be like, I'm Michael Keller, I need to get what I need to get. I'm Michael Keller. I, need, I have things that I need to... If I don't get them, I won't have. If I won't have, I'll be in want. So I don't know if that's actually how we see ourselves. But I think what this is trying to get at, the extensiveness of stewardship, is everybody has something. And therefore, today, right now, you're tired. A lot of people are tired right now. We're back at work. Uh, things are re-engaging. The, the, the coldness kind of saps our energy. If you feel like you have nothing to offer... This text is saying that's a lie. That you've, you do. You have something to offer. And it gives us a couple categories. What are some things that you can offer? Number one, look at verse 9. Offer hospitality. 
hospitality, what is hospitality? It means using your stuff for other people. Hospitality takes possessions and treasures and time. It means opening up your home. When I was reading this, I was convicted. I said, when was the last time I actually opened up my home, not to somebody in my family, not to a friend, not to somebody in our church, but just to a neighbor or to somebody I didn't know and I wanted to get to know them more? When was the last time I've done that? Did, I don't know if you know this. There was some research that came out that showed that um, if you opened your home to a neighbor, somebody you didn't really know, invite them over for a meal, spent time with them, it has almost the same amount of benefits as that person going to a therapist. And I'm not saying don't go to therapists, go to therapists, but there's a benefit, there's a relational benefit about actually just opening our homes. So are we stewarding our stuff, our treasure? That's verse 9. Verse, nine. verse 10, look at the next verse, number 2. It says, each of you has, has a gift. The word gift in Greek is the Greek word charisma. That a lot of the, in English, we use that word about somebody's personality, right? Somebody has charisma. They have a gift. They have an ability to get things because of who they are, their personality. And so what this is trying to say is everybody has a skill or a talent to be used. And if you want to kind of nerd out, the, the, the verb around here that says that you have received a, a gift right? You have received to serve others. That Greek word only shows up one other time in the entire New Testament. And it's actually in the, cha- the chapter and the verses we looked at last week where uh, um, Paul was talking to the Corinthians and said that God's abundance supplies all that you need. And that means then uh, you're supposed to look at that and realize, wait a second, that means these gifts have been given to me to be used. And so right there, just in two little verses, we have treasure, we have talents, and of course it takes time to do both. So time, talents, treasures are things to be used as stewards. But I want to do one more category that I didn't expect. I wasn't, I, when I sat down to sit here to, to come up with this, I didn't think I'd be saying this, but it's in the text. There's one more thing that Peter thinks you can steward. Look at verse 12. He says, dear friends, it's the word beloved, so he gets tender. He says, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal uh, that has come on you. And then look at, go to the next verse. Verse four, 13, rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Next verse, verse 14. If you're insulted, right? If there's hardship and suffering, what's he doing here? He's saying you're blessed. You go, what, okay, add up all those three verses, 12, 13, 14. Somehow Peter is saying the fire ordeal, your suffering, your hardship, the thing that is in your life right now that you did not ask for, the thing right now that's draining you, the wound that you didn't ask for and it can't heal and it's still there, all those things, whether they be physical or emotional or relational, whatever they are, he's saying that's something for you to steward as well. Which was, I mean, when I saw that, I was like, ooh. So I'm supposed to use that. I'm supposed to actually give that as well. Don't waste your sufferings. Don't waste the ordeals that you've gone through. Years ago, I was ministering to a, a woman who, um, you know, the events in her life, she might be the person in my mind that has had the hardest life that I know of, personally. Uh, she, her father um, got cancer. She, he actually had a, 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 a mass that, that he ignored, didn't look at it, kept growing and growing. When they finally looked at it, he died in a couple months later. Her younger brother died. Then, a couple, then actually, in a short bit, her older brother died. Mental health issues. Everything falling apart. And I remember sitting with her. And with tears in her eyes, she looked at me and said, I don't 
I don't think I have anything to give. What could I actually possibly give this world? I have nothing left. And for whatever reason, that moment, I looked at her and I said, you do have your tears. You have your tears to give. And what I meant by that is this. There are people that she could meet that I could never meet. In fact, I would argue anybody who's been hurting can go to her and she could relate to that hurt in ways that I could never do. There are hands that she could hold that I could never hold. Because of the sufferings of the experiences that she went through, she was able to do that. And that's what I think is important, is that, yeah, when you realize, this was crazy, when you realize, yeah, you have time, your talents, and treasure, but you also have your tears and your experiences that have been given to you to be able to give out to other people. Everything has, who has made you, everything that's made you who you are right now can be used through stewardship. You have something to offer. You really do. And I, I don't know how to make this more poignant, but I don't know why the things that you've had to go through, you're going through, or will go through. I don't know why that's in you. But if God can use Joseph to bring the Israelites out of famine, if he can use Daniel in the lion's den, the hardship there to lead in government, if he can use Esther and put her in an oppressive government with, a, with a, an oppressive king so that she could advocate for her people, if God could use probably the worst thing that, pop, that happened in the universe, which is the death of the Son of God, and somehow used it for good, he can use whatever you're going through for good too. He can use your, your tears can transform this world. And I don't know if we sit that way. I don't know if we actually think and, and see ourselves that way. So the question, because this is the question, the only question left is, will we see ourselves in that way? Can we? move ourselves from, I don't know why I'm upset, to still, I don't know why, but I'm going to use what I have for the stewardship of others. See, everybody was running around right now. We'd go back to the, uh, you know, intro. Everybody's going around saying, here's, you know, get your identity, live, you do you. We're all saying this, you know, how to live. And the Bible is saying, this is the way to have purpose. This is the way to have meaning. This is the way to view the rest of the world through your time, talents, treasures, and tears. And the question is, is will we? Each of you have it. That's the extensiveness. That's the universality of stewardship right here, number one. All right, number two. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after worship on Sundays. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastoral team and other members of our church community. If you have a question, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us at Q&R on a Sunday morning. And now, back to this week's sermon. The heart. The heart of stewardship. That word stewardship is a foreign word. I don't know if we use it commonly in our dialect, so let's parse it. In Greek, it's a combo word called oikonomos. Oika means household. Nomos means leader. Household means something that you manage. It, and, uh, sorry, leader mean, the leader nomos means management or, or leader, but household means it's something that you're in charge of, but you don't own. So you're over something that's not yours, but you're in charge of it. And then look at verses uh, 10 and 11. It says, if anybody speaks, right, and if anyone serves, that word service is the Greek word diakonos, which is what we get, or it's the root word of our word for diaconate or deacons and deaconesses. So add this together, you have the service, you have the household and stuff, and then you add the leadership or management. 
to be a steward is a servant leader. To be a steward is, means to lead with humble boldness or bold humility. And so I want to I break this down. What does humble, boldness, servant leadership look like? Number one, hum, humility, the heart of stewardship. As a humble person, at some level means then you are not just designed to consume. I think our world, particularly America, the way we live our lives, we're told we're, you're primarily a consumer. But if you're a consumer, then that means the, life, the goal of life is to you know, receive and not, and not give. It's to take, not give. And that's a major problem in the church. Three times this, this week, just this week, I was meeting up with congregants, and I was trying to explain how I think because a lot of folks are professionals, professionals see themselves as, as experts in their field. And so people place that on, on even the pastor and say, okay, you're the expert in the field. I come to receive from you. And I'm, I'm fine for, for, for giving out and, and, and training and, and equipping. But if that's only how you see yourself, then you, what happens is you come to church to get and to receive, but there's, there's this sort of dichotomy of the church and the laity, the, the clergy and everyone else. And that's actually not what Peter wants. Because somehow humility, if you're not just a consumer, then we're actually supposed to be here to take initiatives to start things. Redeemer Lincoln Square, five years ago when we started, we were all like, hey, if you've got a great idea, do it. Let's innovate. Let's start stuff. But if, don't wait around for me or the staff to, to tell you where to go and what to do. I would, what I'd rather do is for you to be able to see an area of need and then do something about it. Years ago, when I was in Boston, I was an assistant minister, and um, this woman came up to me and she said, hey, I've, I've been here three times, three times, and nobody's actually ever said, you know, welcome. Nobody's welcomed me. Nobody's talked to me. I was feeling a little bit uh, salty that day, and so I said, you know what? Those people over there said the same thing about you. You never, they said, you know what, that lady over there never said hi. So I said, I got an idea. I, gave, I took a bunch of bulletins, and I said, take these bulletins. Why don't you stand right here at the door, and you can greet people. And then you can be the change that you want. And she did it. And then she never came back. Um, <laughs> which is why, to this day, I am not in charge of volunteers at Redeemer Lincoln Square. <laughs> you do not want me to be. Um, uh, but we do need volunteers. We need people to say, you know what, I see a need here, and I'm in. We need people to, to look around and say, I want to be the change that this place needs. Uh, it, it, and again, maybe I'm, I'm being a little oversharing a little bit, but it always frustrates me when people are like, Michael, here's what I'd like to see more. And I'm always like, great, what are you doing? And they always are looking to me to say, you be the change. I'm like, no, no, this is a community. This is a family. This is a joint effort. So if you want to see more evangelism, there's evangelism. If you want to see more justice, if you want to see more community, if you want to see X, Y, Z, I would love for you to go and empower you. I think that's what it means. Humility means not just saying receive. And, and, and by the way, if you need to receive today, if you need something, please come to us. We would love to give it to you. But there's so much more than that, number one. Now, another part of, number two, another part of, of humility here. Go back to verse 10. Notice stewardship has a modifier, faithful stewards. And that word, you know, sometimes in, in Christian circles, is kind of like a throwaway word, faithful. Um, what does faith mean? Well, the, the Greek word is, is, is a strange one. It's not translated easily. In the ESV, people translate it as good. But even that, commentaries point out that there are better Greek words for the word good that could have been used. And so what a lot of people point out is that this is the Greek word kalos, which means 
attractive or beauty. So Peter's trying to say there's something about your stewardship is supposed to be attractive and beautiful. And, and you have to realize Jewish context of Peter, attraction is, is symmetry. It's, um, you know, shalom. It's things fixed and, and put together. So what's beautiful about it? Think, if you see people serving, uh, if you see somebody who's a team player, somebody who doesn't always point to themselves, somebody who doesn't need the credit, there's a beauty about that. I read a, 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 about a story years ago about a six-year-old boy saw a dog that was about to attack his younger sister, and so he got in the, in the way of it and put his hand out and held his sister up at bay while literally the dog was, was biting his face. And the interview later on said, you know what, I felt if someone's going to die, it might as well have been me. Those are always kind of a tear-jerking kind of story. We, we love stories like that. But what about all the infinite stories out there of people serving that we never hear about? And we never do. And I, was, I, I pushed myself. Would I be okay never getting the recognition that I think I deserve in service? Would you be okay with that? That, you know, that you would never be seen. That there's a humility about that that is beautiful. That even if you did it, it would bring fiery ordeals potentially. But a steward is humble. And that, that humility is beautiful to some degree too. All right. Secondly, bold. Right? It's not just servant humility. It's humble boldness. How bold are we in our service? You know what? 30 years ago, somebody was bold enough to look around Redeemer and say, we need to start Hope for New York. We need to start uh, an organization that gives away millions of dollars, equips various ministries all over the city, trains and supports them. Right now, you can go to Hope for New York's website and in minutes be connected with dozens of ministries in their needs. Right now. Because somebody said, you know what? I'm going to be bold. We're going to start something that big. It was boldness that uh, people started the Redeemer Counseling Center. This is, again, decades ago. Because they saw a need, that, and so that we were ready for the, the mental health crisis today. Which, may, which, you know, really hit me. I go, what are the things we need to start today for the crises for tomorrow? What might that look like? It was boldness that, some, that pe- there were a group of people that started a veil to help men and women work through uh, un unexpected pregnancies. Right now, there's actually, they just wrote out a website that no matter what you believe, you can go to it and it will show you the steps, the decision-making steps that you need to have to work through pregnancy. I mean, these are huge, very bold things. And I, and one level, I don't want to kind of like say, what are you doing with your life? Because you can be bold by just being hospitable and, and caring for uh, other Christians in a CG, but you can also be bold by being hospitable, by inviting non-Christians to your home and just giving them a meal. You can be bold with your treasures, right? There's clearly a need in, at, at Redeemer Lincoln Square for our financial end-of-the-year giving, but you can give to any organization. So what would it look like for you? I would love for you to think of yourself as not just consumers, but as, as, of humble, bold individuals that are making plans to be decisive about how to live out life, to see everybody through their time, talents, and treasures, and tears as individuals that you can bless and that you can bring change in their life. And I would argue that's actually the heart of stewardship. I would argue that's the heart of what it means to be human. Right there. Time, talents, treasure, and tears. All right. Last point. The goal. What is the goal of Peter's letter? I promise you, if you're feeling there going, oh man, I feel like I'm supposed to be doing more. Peter was never trying to guilt you into these things. He was never trying to do that. When he was trying to, he was actually trying to equip, he's trying to say, each of you, guess what? You have something to give. 
But if ultimately his goal is found at the end of verse 11. Right? If anybody speaks, if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength of God provides them. So, so that, see, here's the goal. So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. That he might be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. I think it's no small thing that when Peter gets to his goal, he, brings, he breaks into song. This is an early church doxology that he goes into. That he can't even help himself to, to, to get to, to him be the glory and power and honor forever and ever and ever. Amen. That's the goal. He wants, Peter wants God to get the glory. But later on, if you look down further, he says, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed to you. So that you get the glory. In other words, he wants glory all around. It's kind of like Oprah, right? You get the glory, and you get the glory, and you get the glory. He wants everybody to get the glory. But how does that come? The word glory is, a, again, one of those spiritual words that I think a lot of people who don't grow up in the faith, what does that mean? Glory means greatness, goodness, honor, weightiness. It's basically the substance and essence of everything good. And we want God to get that, but Peter wants us to get it too. How does that happen? My uh, RUF campus minister, when I was um, a student, uh, was uh, Brian Habig, who pointed me to this proverb. It's Proverbs 19.11, and it's about glory. It says this. It says that it is a glory to look, overlook somebody else's offense. Right? We're trying to figure out what is glory. Well, it's a glory to overlook somebody else's offense. And that, that proverb is really, really hard for me recently because, I, 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 to be honest with you, I have a hard time looking over other people's offenses. I did one of those inventories where you find communication jammers, you find out uh, how you do conflict, and I scored super high on bringing up the history and past. So if I want to win an argument, I'm like, well, actually, so you did this, and you did that, and do you remember Tuesday and Wednesday? I'm, it, it's, it's, my, it's in my repertoire of how I, I, I fight. So it's really hard for me when I see it as a glory to overlook somebody else's offense, that's hard. Why? Because when you overlook somebody else's offense, it doesn't stop the offense. The offense happened. But when you overlook it, you're absorbing the cost of it. In other, wo- in other words, glory always is costly because there's a giving nature to it. And if that's the truth, then what you see in the person of Jesus Christ in his sufferings, the product of taking our sins, every self-centered thought that you and I have ever done, Every self-centered word or deed, every focus where, because what's funny is all human history is saying, I got to go get the glory. I got to get it. You're not going to give it to me. Which is so ironic because the definition of glory is giving. It always has a costliness to it. And Jesus, by taking on those things, by going to the cross, by the way, at a time when, when he died, nobody in human history knew the effects. We talked about how that one of the things about serving is what hap- can you really do it when nobody sees it? The greatest version of that was Jesus. And what's so crazy about it is, is that Jesus' greatness was that he didn't desire greatness. His glory was that he didn't go off trying to grab glory for himself. And so now when we serve people in this humble, boldness, beauty, we get to be most like him. And when we're most like him, it's when we empty ourselves. And you know what? If you did, let me just be really honest. If you emptied your home, if you emptied your time, talents, and treasures, you will be more poor tangibly, physically. As you give these things up, you will be. 
And yet at the same time as your talent depleted, because Jesus did the exact same thing, where he didn't save himself, he saved it for others. And that's the ultimate version of emptying, depleting yourself. And there's nothing more glorious than that. When we do it, we get a taste. We get an experience of that exact same glory too. That's what Peter's getting at. I would argue we can't go out, we can't stomach the, the concept of, of stewardship and service unless we first see him doing this service in stewardship on our behalf now in our lives. And when we do, it changes us. It, it, it becomes a beauty and wonder that then we want to go out and do the same. And I would argue that not only is that the ability for us to go out and serve, I would argue you're not going to be able to handle the hurts, the hardships, the slights, the friend that betrays you, the job that didn't come through for you, the illness that we didn't ask for. You're not going to be able to handle those things. The non-acceptance, the non-recognition that will happen daily, hourly, all the time, unless we have this at the core of who we are. Right? If it wasn't above Jesus to go through the exact same thing, that's how it becomes a joy. Notice he says in verse 13, you can rejoice. And be careful. You can't rejoice because of suffering. Suffering takes away joy. You can rejoice because through suffering, through suffering we realize that there's no darkness that can keep him away from us. There's no darkness that keeps his light away from us. And therefore there's greater riches because we lose our riches. Not physical, tangible riches, but the riches of glory in him. And so I, I, I'm, I'm struggling right now. I don't know if you see this. I'm struggling to try to describe this to you because it's something that it, it, it's, it's, it, it's on the next plane because we only, we're used to like tangible physical stuff. And we're talking about we've been stewarded this to give it a back away. And yet there's something that you get through it. And the, the best I can, I can um, get at is praise and thanksgiving, that you get praise and thanksgiving. It's almost like the receiving of of praise from him is now the praise we need. In Lord of the Rings, sorry, I always have to go there. In Lord of the Rings, there is a scene when Faramir, who is actually the son of the steward of Gondor, so there's stewardship for you, he's talking to Sam, who's serving and stewarding his time, talents, and treasures for Frodo. And this is what he says to him. He says, you are a pert servant, Master Sam, but nay, the praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. I love that quote. The praise of the praiseworthy is above all rewards. And I always thought it was a kind of a fun little quote. But when I read today's text, the past couple weeks, what I realized is something about this line I never realized before, which is why, why is praise of the praiseworthy above all rewards? And the answer is this. If you can't help but praise someone, when you know somebody is so amazing and so beautiful and so lovely, when you praise them, if they praise you, the praise, they're the praiseworthy, but if you get the praise, what ends up happening is it elevates you up into their joy. It elevates you up into the praiseworthiness of it. It's a, it, it's, it's a mind-blowing concept that somehow when you believe they deserve all the honor and glory and they give you honor and glory, you get it too. And so when you, we get exactly that, when Jesus Christ looks at us and says, I love you and I I rejoice in you, and I want you, and, I, and you get the praise of him, and you let that actually sit in your heart, in your core, in your identity, it elevates you up into that joy. Friends, 
We need to stop seeking what has already been given. Stop looking for what can't fill you and give you what you need. This does. The praise of the praiseworthy is being offered. And when you have that, the time, talents, and treasures you have are no longer things to hold on and hoard for yourself. It's things that you can give because you've been given. Let's pray. Father, I pray for humble, bold, beautiful people. I pray for a bold humility, a humble boldness, servant leaders. Father, the world says you can't do that. The world says, you know what, you're either a a servant and therefore you can't lead, or you're a leader and therefore you don't serve. But you show us in the person of Jesus how we can actually have both. Father, and it would change us. It would change the world. People would at least be curious and say, who is this? What are they about? Why can they do what they do? I pray that you move in our hearts in such a powerful way to become stewards of what you've given us. Praisings in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray that it's a helpful resource as you process aspects of Christianity and grow in your faith. To learn more about our church, including details about Sunday worship, check out our website at RedeemerLSQ.com.